So this is a very special District Conversations podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Brannigan, director and um, activist. What else would you like to call yourself, Kevin? Uh, a complete spoofer, some complete other people will call me. That, absolutely. And today we're here to talk about Care's Kids, a documentary that Kevin has been working on for... How long has he been working on it for? Um, first off, yeah, thanks for having us on, Craig. No problem. Very nice of you. I suppose like like all documentary things it's kind of like or like all kind of projects it's fermenting in your brain for a while before it comes to fruition um and like i'd always thought of doing something about this but i always thought that someone else would go and do it and for some reason someone else didn't go and do it so i went and did it um i suppose the process would have started sometime around last march when i started looking at the there's like there's two bai uh, broadcast authority of ireland funding schemes that, that come up uh, every year in Ireland and that's where you pitch to to, to look for cash basically to go and make these things um, so I started thinking in March of 2017 about uh, pitching for the BAI in November of that year but um, you know I'm, I'm not really too good with like basically filling out the whole thesis of what the BAI is and uh, a friend of mine came along Gary Lennon who'd be like an experienced producer um, and he got involved and, and since then it was it was kind of Gary uh, pushing me on and making me do it and, and putting the thing together that that took the idea outside of just being small talk and grogans I suppose to, to actual fruition but we, we, we got the funding uh, second time around in March of this year and I suppose since then we were working away on it and uh, yeah it came to you don't realise when you're in the middle of something uh, how quick it's coming together or whatever you, you, you know you, you think time is a long process but uh, it, it, we have it all wrapped up and it's you know it was all wrapped up and done by the end of September which was you know pretty pretty, pretty great and there's a lot of stuff that you um, are interested in. You obviously made a documentary that um, that was March or April this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, your last premiere, but um, but why why Brian Kerr? Why that year? Um, like why Brian Kerr? Just from a, a purely say like financial point of view or commercial point of view, everyone loves Brian Kerr, and you know he's not one of these niche market people where you have to be you know into League of Ireland or into the Premiership or like even like football to know about. Like everyone from, you know, A to B knows who Brian Kerr is. Like, you know, he's one of those uh, larger than life kind of characters. Uh, what do they call them? Like treasured by the nation or the, a national treasure, I think yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. But like, what, why? Like, I, I, I think uh, the 90s is like a fascinating era, especially like the mid 90s onwards. It's like, you know, not to get start, sound too pretentious and about what this documentary is about. It's about like, you know, lads who went on to be famous and scoring goals and winning tournaments but to me like uh why i'd be interested in the 90s i think like you know the 90s uh, offered up a lot of promise uh from like 95 onwards and then those things that seemed to offer up a lot of promise in the following decade the thousands turned out you know to have been a load of shit you know like uh oasis standing on the shoulders of giants you know coming out in 2000 <laughs> kind of sums up the, the good stuff from the 90s that became the bad stuff Tony Blair, uh, you didn't think he was going to give you the invasion of Iraq in 2002 <laughs> when he came to power in 96, but he did. Uh, the Celtic Tiger probably looked good at the time. Uh, turned out not to be great. So I think the 90s is a really interesting time and we're kind of paying maybe now for uh, the excesses of the 90s. Like, uh, you know, we're, th that seems to happen. You, you pay for a decade, like two decades on or whatever, you know? Yeah, and in terms of, like, what, what memories do you have of this particular time? Because this sort of, the start of the documentary is like 1997 yeah. in Ayanapa. Yeah. And it, like, there's some really, really good footage in there. But what memories do you have of the tournament? Because I remember 
you know, going to play football matches and listen to the radio on the way home that, you know, that the Irish, the, the, the U team have done X, Y and Z and then you get yeah. to go home and it'll be on RTE. Do you remember those moments? Uh, I definitely don't remember watching the matches, but I definitely do remember, like my dad was working in Dublin Airport at the time and, and still is. Uh, I remember going to Dublin Airport for the homecomings and uh, I remember feeling like really privileged because uh, it was me, my mum, my sister there for the homecoming and then he came out of like, you know, the arrivals gates in his, in his work uniform who was it, like Bridge Midland or something at the time, and he picked me up and he was able to bring me uh, back behind the scenes. So I saw these lads going by. And, you know, these are only like 15 or 16, 17-year-old lads. And, like, I was, what, like 9, 10? And you're, like, going, oh, wow, they're amazing. You didn't know they were Damien Duff and Robbie Keane at the time, what mm. they'd go on to achieve. But uh, I also remember going, like, before Ireland get to uh, the tournament in, in uh, Cyprus, they had to... I remember going to the, the qualifying, uh, the final qualifying game in Talca Park against Greece. And this is for like, you know, an underage, under 18 team. And it's Ireland versus Greece in Talca Park. It was like a midnight, a week, weeknight. Uh, and I, I, I vividly remember being at that match, you know, the darkness of Talca Park with the floodlights and all that. But I remember like every single stand in Talca being packed. Mm. And that just showed you how, uh, I don't know, maybe there was less to do in the 90s or something like that. Um, less distractions. But it, it just showed you how much Brian Kerr and Nola Riley were able to get and generate interest for a youth team. Like the youth team uh, last week, you know, Troy Parrott, who I love, is from the inner city there mm-hmm. playing for Tottenham, banging in the goals, scored yeah. a panika down in Longford and like, yeah, yeah. you know, squared up to the keeper after. Like he's got a bit of attitude that we need and it's great to see uh, like an Irish young lad having that attitude. But, you know, there's not thousands of people going to these underage games uh, the way there was in Brian Kerr. It, it, it was just a really special time, you know? Yeah. And especially after, say... We were probably too young to properly absorb uh, 94. Obviously, didn't qualify in 96 or 98. So it was something for people to latch on to. A bit of positivity off the back of, you know, after Charlton's era moving on with, uh, onwards. Did you get a sense of that when you're actually making it? That that when you were speaking to the people, and we'll get into it in a minute, you, get, you speak with the big names, like everyone that was a part of it. Did you get a sense that they knew that they were a part of something special? Oh, 100%. Like, say Richie Dunn uh, was born in 1979. And he's from like a big famous League of Ireland family. All his uncles, his dad, like played for Rovers and stuff like that. And uh, he's living out in Tallaght, but he's playing for Home Farm because his family are connected to Home Farm. But he's born in 1979. And like all his formative memories are of Euro 88, Italia 90, Italia 94. And then he goes and gets, to, or USA 94, he gets to go and then recreate those moments four years after USA 94. Like I, I lived through 88 up to 94. I've, I've absolutely no memories of them. Um, but you can, you can, you, you get a sense from talking to Duff, Richie Sadler, Dunn, uh, Robbie Keane, like these just football obsessed young lads. And they, 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 and this is probably why they're so successful and why that period's so successful in that like bang into their formative years, they've got 88, 90 and USA 94. And to be honest, it's interesting that the lads nearly kind of give kind of similar answers to everything. And one of their similar answers is that like, uh, that's that's what pushed them on to be professional footballers. That's what pushed them on to have careers. They, they were just out in the street recreating Ray Houghton and Ronnie yeah. Whelan goals all the time. And like kids today, we, we don't have that. You know, you get yeah. like uh, 2012 at Trapatoni, which is like, God, yeah. you know, the qualifying campaign was great. Uh, but like, you're not going to remember the tournament or want to, or want to recreate it. Um, like I found myself, <laughs> like what age am I now? 30, but I'm obviously still really influenced by things. I found myself this summer like picking up a hurl and trying to hit a slitter because the, the hurling uh, season was so good this summer. <laughs> so that just shows you like uh, you need to give people role models and give people icons to push on and do stuff. And obviously the soccer team aren't doing that today. Yeah, and I suppose 
like you don't really realize how lucky you are but when we think back about these players that came through like you would you'd kill for richie dunn you'd kill for damon duff for robbie Keane. but in terms of actually making the documentary how difficult was it to actually get them on board or was it a case of reaching out and say this is about brian you know this is this is champion and brian's story did that make that process a bit easier oh absolutely really easy um yeah like i got onto duff i said it and straight away you know, get onto Richie Sadler, and then and then they they're like, uh, oh, I'll help you get the other lad. I'll help you get a mobile f- number for here. It was only one person, uh, for other t- reasons or whatever, wasn't completely accommodating straight away. But eventually, did do the interview and was like apologetic for not doing it to begin with. Mm-hmm. But everyone wanted to do it and take part uh, because they all love Brian. And you know, these are also like. We don't really get into it in the documentary. Obviously, Brian takes over the senior team and a lot of these lads are then in, involved, who he'd been involved with. And there's maybe a bit of a complicated relationship between Brian and, and some of the people that he had brought through at that youth level. But, you know, that's all kind of forgotten about now. That's nearly a decade ago as well. And, uh, yeah, they all just really love Brian. And I suppose now they can see uh, just the passion uh, that he had for it when they were, like, at those formative years as well, like, 16 15 year olds over in England that big massive clubs trying to break through and then they come back and Brian and Nola Riley welcome them into this like kind of strange camp but they can see that like he's he's fully committed he's fully focused uh like I, I don't think I put let this into the doc because it was kind of too confusing but Brian was telling us because like he's not the manager of one team he's the manager of like five different new teams and he says that he, he used to have little compartments in his brain and he'd like be like, they're the they're the February nineteen seventy nine lads. That would, they were the the March nineteen eighty lads. And he'd be able to like, he knew in these little compartments in his head. Like he said, he could open drawers and like go through the file of facts of like who was born and what month and can they qualify for the sixteens or the eighteens and all that. So like, uh, yeah, only someone like Brian with this uh, amazing recall could could do that. And it's also like, we're interviewing Brian, and you know maybe it was my fault. I should have had like a TV screen there with the matches, but I didn't. <laughs> And, but like I didn't need to and I was like oh Brian tell us about uh, you know Duff's goal against Australia and when you, when you see that in the documentary it, it's, it's, it's class and we showed it to Duff and he, he like he hadn't seen it since you know it was only in his mind's eye or whatever and he was like god I was really good wasn't I I was like yeah you are you were deadly man yeah. <laughs> but like uh, but Brian was able to Brian was able to minute by minute go through every game and go through every goal and he could he could see every goal you know and then when we're cutting it later on to the actual footage and he's like and, and then he comes in on the left and he comes in there and you're like wow <laughs> you know, yeah, how do you remember this stuff he has you know? it and, it's, and there's a really really good um, story in it about when they were trying to acclimatise to the the weather is in Malaysia yeah yeah so yeah. they basically were sitting in a sauna wearing black bin bags yeah yeah which, yeah and we, you know, we have footage of that they're de- so they, they're trying to acclimatise uh, like they know it's going to be really hot in Malaysia and it's Duff and this is the 97 team and Duff and all the lads are brought down to like the university in Limerick when it, the university's off seat or like everyone's gone home for the, for, for the summer or whatever and he has like the lads running around in like this hot uh, heat wave of 97 or whatever wearing these big Duffer coats and like, <laughs> like they're all sweating and stuff like that and then they're all sitting in saunas in full of Duffer coats full tracksuits and like wearing, wearing beanie hats and stuff and they're all like trying to leave and Brian's like no you gotta acclimatise and it's like uh, and and also the best thing that I like about those pictures is uh, like it, it completely brought me back to like my unglorious footballing days. In that like you know like they're drinking out of milk water out of milk cartons and yeah. stuff like that. Like they obviously you know the milk was finished and they're filling up with water. And you're just like oh god yeah that's what I remember of my childhood. You know when everything was a bit haphazard and everything was a bit like uh, makey uppy and on the spot. 
but like you know a lot of fun in, in, in a lot of ways like. and I think that's one thing that, that Kerr did do because I know Duff said you might have your sports scientist these days but that worked for what we needed to do Yeah, and you can definitely uh, you can definitely get a sense when they are when they're talking that when the when the group met up, everyone felt a part of it, and Karen and Noel they were they were well able to make people feel a part of it because as you're saying, they're kids, yeah, they're absolutely their kids, and but they were able to get the absolute best out of them, and um, that's something that that Brian he never really fully got the credit he deserved for doing that, you know, especially with that age group of players, and even even to agree with the national team, like do you why is it, why is Brian Kerr not championed enough by Irish football? I think he's championed loads nowadays by, say, uh, journalists and, you know, the likes of me. <laughs> like, yeah. who am I? But, like, by, like, by like general Irish football fans in general, we're all like, Brian Kerr's amazing. And maybe there's, like, sometimes we paint the brush too much and it's like, uh, it's like, oh, if Brian Kerr was in charge, all the ills would have gone away or would go away. Obviously, that's not the case. But if, if you look at, because um, it's much more complex than that, but if you look at what was happening in the late 90s, Brian quits Pats and he takes over as, like, you know, the youth manager and he takes over as... Uh, uh, FAI director after that and stuff like that trying to put a policy in place he's 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 like some sort of Che Guevara type you know like he's completely uh, just wrapped up in his mission to make Irish football respected there's an interview with him from Malaysia and he's asked like oh what was the best thing about this tournament when he's over there and he's like it was just great uh, hearing people from like Spain and Italy and France go oh good tactics he's played well he kept the ball on the ground and he just was like happy that we were respected because Brian had lived through the Charlton years which obviously brought us a lot of glory but you know like we were a bit of a laughing stock it was like let's get a load of lads with grannies uh, from from uh, from Tipperary let's get drunk and like let's kick the ball long and oh wow we beat we beat you know uh, we beat Italy uh, in Giant Stadium and we have these big one-off results maybe the Charlton era like uh, is, is nearly the cause of one of the reasons of why Irish football is down today because there was no there was nothing set in place no plan set in place and when, when Brian comes along in 98 he's just completely revolutionarily committed to putting these plans in place and to making it a good thing but it's now like the 20th anniversary of 97, 98, 99 and you know I think the FEI should be singing this from the rooftops being like here's been like dragging Brian Kerr out everywhere and showing him off and going remember this remember this and maybe going uh here, Brian, here's a pen and pad and uh, here's an office. And go, you know, go try put some structure in place. And it's kind of weird that they're not doing that. Um, and it maybe harks back to like one of the first things that Delaney did when he took the job that he took today, him and his board, was to like, you know, sack care after like his unsuccessful time trying to, with, with the senior team when he wasn't, I, I, I think he wasn't given enough time or enough of a chance. Mm. He should have got another tournament considering what came after was Steve Staunton. No disrespect. But yeah, it's, it's funny, like everyone... And it's kind of like, uh, you know, the hip thing to do is to say, you know, long live Brian Kerr nowadays. But um, it's, it's coming from the fans and it's coming from the media it's, and it's not coming from the FBI, which is, which is kind of weird. Because, like, why, why would you not, like, champion, like, your only success? Yeah, yeah. Your only, the only time Ireland actually won trophies in international football was these years. And uh, it's like, it didn't happen. And it, it takes, like, you know, someone like me or whatever to go and make a documentary about it. Or it takes someone in a paper to go and write a story about it and, and with the sort of current plight of the national team um, I, do you think that, that people are going to be ultra receptive to this documentary because it's that sort of you know the halcyon days of, of Irish football at, at youth level the what could have been the, the sort of anti-Delaney brigade is that why you see it could be particularly well received no like I, I don't think it, it goes anywhere near the anti-Delaney stuff like uh, my previous answer you could maybe read stuff into that or whatever but like that tone is not at all part of the documentary 
uh, it's also really nice to wrap yourself in nostalgia, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, 20 years ago was always better than now, you know, that kind of way. Uh, or was it? I don't know. But, like, yeah, it's, it's nice to wrap yourself in nostalgia. But it's also really nice. Uh, yeah, you said earlier on we didn't know how good we had it. And, like, you know, 19, in 1999, uh, Ireland go and they nearly they do well in the World Cup in Nigeria. What also happens in 1999? Man United win the Champions League. And they've got Dennis Erwin and Roy Keane. You know, when, when are we ever going to... Uh, is there going to be like a British Champions League winning team again that's captained by a lad from Cork yeah. with another lad from Cork playing in the back line? You know, like, it, we've fallen way down that pecking order now in terms of our standing. Uh, the Premier League isn't an English league anymore. It's this complete, globalised uh, superstructure. And lads from Ireland, Scotland, Wales, etc. find it harder to get into it. So maybe the 90s is like the last time when we, we we were shooting that big and, and, and being that... Maybe it was the last time that Ireland was great. A, a, a superpower, like, you know? Mm. Like, how high did Mick McCarthy get us up in the rankings at one stage? Like, we're in the... Jack Charlton, we're in the top 10. Like, it's it's kind of like looking and going, God, this stuff is so far away, you know? And you mentioned the nostalgia. Um, I think I definitely noticed was the, the music in the actual documentary. It sort of harks back to, you know, early house. Yeah. Uh, and that's... That was obviously... a conscious decision from you um, was that to sort of you know to create a sort of haze to sort of add that rose tinted glasses effect yeah completely and the music's by like White Collar Boy uh, uh, Mark Cummins and, and Gav White Gav who's a, like a Shells fan I think Mark's a Bose fan now, now residing in Berlin but like yeah they, they, they do that uh, exactly That's, that was completely it was completely to set the tone of, of that time uh, initially when I was like dreaming up this documentary I was like yeah Oasis and every single Britpop tune you could think of and then you realise that that costs a lot of money. Like, I'm going to say a lot of money. It's not a couple of hundred quid. It's it's like tens of thousands. You know, can I use like be here now? Like, it's yeah, like yeah. Have you, have you got like, have you got yeah. twenty grand and you can play it once? You're like, oh god. Um, so uh, yeah, white collar boy aren't getting as much as Oasis <laughs> will be getting. But uh, yeah, and, and and again, you know, it heart, it seeps into the Brian Kerr thing of like local DIY and uh, do it yourself. And you know, it's it's it was better than throwing in Oasis tunes in the end. Yeah, and you're always uh, you mentioned DIY. You're like you're always on the front foot in terms of actually getting the getting allowing people to actually see it. You know, so the first and foremost is the premiere on the Sugar Club. And um, when is that? Yeah, the premiere is like November twelfth, uh, which is in a few weeks on a Monday, and then it's coming out on air uh, sometime in November as well. Maybe possibly November twelfth. But um, yeah, it, it's it's nice when you when you complete a project. Sometimes you're like. Uh, oh, if I put on this screen and is it like, you know, just to fuel my own ego or something like that? You're going, no, you, you made a thing, let people see it. Mm. Um, and God, uh, I, I think Paul Guinan, a uh, graphic designer friend of mine, made the poster and I think he made the poster too good. I'm like, oh man, the <laughs> film's not that good. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, I'm a bit anxious about that. I was like, oh, the poster was way better. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good for people to come and see stuff. And also like hopefully Brian and some of the people, I see like the names that are coming in now and event bright or whatever are, are lads who actually played in, in those tournaments and stuff like that. So it'd be nice to have a mix and, and have a chat afterwards. Like, uh, you know, have a, a nostalgia uh, tins chat afterwards. Yeah, because I was going to say like, the, we speak about like Richard Dunge, uh, Demi Duff, Robbie Keane and stuff, but there, there's a lot of people in the documentary that didn't quite reach those heights. Yeah. So it's so it's nice for them to actually have something to to go that sort of you know in time capsules that that yeah. era for them. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's called like Kerr's Kids Irish the, the story of Irish football's golden generation, and obviously it was the golden generation. Uh, like England had their golden generation, um, which didn't do anything. Uh, Portugal had theirs, which 
uh, was it the golden generation that got to the finals probably not it was probably a couple of years before yeah, that yeah. but like uh, every every country seems to have a golden generation that doesn't really achieve ours achieved at youth level and I suppose for us uh, achieved in like you know getting to big Premier League clubs getting to Champions League clubs and getting us to World Cup in 2002 but they don't do that actually after 2002 maybe to 2012 some of them are still hanging around it was definitely a golden generation but like interviewing people uh, for this like obviously you get to interview Duff and Richie Dunn and Robbie Keane and all that and you're like oh this is class um, but uh, my favourite interview was with Liam George um, Liam is from Luton uh, played, played for us um, his mum's from Ireland I got to meet his mum she's great um, and we spent the whole day in Luton Town with him and like like uh, Liam would always come up in football conversations between me and my mates of like oh I wonder what happened to him and god he could be in the next big thing Liam ended up playing for 22 clubs like he scores the winning penalty that wins us the tournament in Cyprus and then a couple of weeks later breaks his leg and then comes back too early then he gets let go and then he's, he's just chasing his tail then after that and meanwhile Robbie Keane is signing for Inter Milan Liverpool Celtic Tottenham mm-hmm. and Liam's running trying to chase his tail chase his tail and I was thinking, oh, it was going to be this big sad story with Liam. Because uh, I'd read a couple of interviews that he'd done in the Irish Times like about 10 years ago or whatever. And I was like, it came across pretty bad. Not that he came across bad, but it came across as a sad story. And then I met Liam and spent the whole day with him. And it, he just has this like complete zen uh, approach to life. He was like, look, I used to be upset about it. And now I look back and go, I played for my country. Scored the winning penalty in a tournament. Played on the same pitch as Robbie Keane. Was managed by Brian Kerr. And played and had a football career. All my mates would love to have a football career. And I was like, oh God, yeah. Because I was coming out of thinking, oh, this is going to be sad. But actually, you know, we, it, it's funny how we, how we judge success. Like, before this, I would have said successful players, Dunn, Duff, Richie, Richie, uh, Richie Dunn, uh, Damien Duff, etc., you know? And I wouldn't have put Liam George in the success category. But, like, you know, he's got a really good life and he's happy. Yeah, he's way more successful than a lot of people, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, I believe the, the documentary, the showing is sold out. So, which is congratulations yeah and I, and I think it's not reflective on my ability to make films around like that I think it's just completely reflective on, uh, on just the popularity of Brian Kerr uh, like we have a presidential uh, race at the minute with Michael D Higgins who we all love uh, everyone else competing against them is like just a complete no-hope or a complete no-show uh, you know indulging in racism and fucking you know slagging off your man's dogs yeah. but I'm thinking like in seven years time Jesus, Brian could run for president. Uh, <laughs> is that the... <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to pitch off the back of this. <laughs> this is the start of Brian's presidential campaign. Like, Brian's great. You know, uh, Google Brian Kerr Palestine, and he's got some really good things to say about that. Uh, look at Brian back in the 80s. Um, you know, Brian, like in the 80s, when it looked like the fucking killing was never going to stop up the north, Brian was going out of his way to bring League of Ireland 11s and St. Pat's 11s through the then hard border to play like, you know, Protestant teams like Linfield and Gintorin in Belfast and he was making a point of this you know uh, like Brian uses football uh, you know n- not just to advance himself but like you know to try and bring about a better better society a better Ireland uh, so I think Brian's great <laughs> so, Brian, so essentially Brian Kerr for president and if you've got a ticket you're in for a treat on the 12th of November if not you can catch it on air in November at some stage um, Kevin Branigan thanks very much thanks Craig <laughs>